0: As we start the book of Romans, we're going we're gonna to cover seven verses today. Verses one through seven, and, and here's what I will do. You feel free to mark up as you wish. Um, if, if you will, I am going to start from verse seven, and I'm going to finish on verse one. There's a purpose, and there's a reason. I promise, this. trust me. I, I want to first begin by by. Speaking about the audience, you'll see three things this morning. Once, uh, one, you'll see the audience that he wrote to. Second, you'll see the message that he is writing about. Third, you'll see the author, which is all these three, three things are very important. Here's the way I want you to think about it. You ready? I want you to pretend that we have 16 chapters here that's going to take us a long time to get through. Almost an entire year, if not longer. This is not going to be a fast food book. Most fast food that I eat is not healthy for me anyway. This is going to be a dine-in experience with the Creator. Does that make sense? So this is going to be a dine-in experience as we go through 16 chapters. What Paul gives us in the first seven verses is a run-on sentence, by the way. Uh, The commas you see in this sentence were not originally there. This is a run-on sentence that he wrote. Now, this run on sentence of seven verses, think about it this way. This is the menu. Paul is about to let us know what the rest of the scripture is going to contain through these seven verses. So, this is the menu letting us know the meat and potatoes Paul is about to serve us. Does that make sense? So, this is simply the introduction today. But I promise you, you don't want to miss the rest. Paul gets into really good things. What happens to those that never hear the gospel? He gets into justification. He gets into God's sanctification, God's sovereignty. He gets into all of these things. But first, let's begin by having an understanding of who he's speaking to and why he wrote this. By the way, interesting side note, every single chapter in the book of Romans he speaks about the Old Testament. Every single chapter, he quotes the Old Testament or an Old Testament name. It's the only time you'll see this in the New Testament. This is one of Paul's longest letters. Paul normally would visit churches, for example, uh, 1 Corinthians. He'd recognize how messed up they were. Then he would write to the church to say, you guys need to get this stuff together. Here, he didn't visit, visit it first, he wrote to them because he heard about the division that was going on in the church. So this time, he didn't necessarily visit first, he wrote first. He wrote to them, and here is the audience. Um, obviously, he is saying, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, very simple, the audience he's writing to are a group of Christians. Here's what's different about these Christians. The Christians that he's writing to are Jews and Gentiles. There was huge division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Huge cultural difference. For example, somebody when you first visited this church, um, here's what I'd often hear. You'd see Kristen up here breakdancing while he's leading worship. And afterwards, like, I loved it, but this didn't seem Baptist. Like, is that good or bad? I don't know what you're saying to me right now. But what they're really meaning is, this is not the culture I expected to experience in a Baptist church. Because we often associate certain cultures with certain denominations, correct? So here's what has happened as well. When I came to this church, this was not what I was expecting. I was a little uncomfortable at first, but now I love it. Now, raise your hand if you like, I, I think I know what you mean. I experienced that. Look at that. Thank you for being honest. But there took some inner tension to make it right, correct? As you can tell, I am Latin. As you can tell, my wife is not. When we first got married you took two different cultures and you try to figure each other out There was some natural tension I forgave her don't worry about it we're good <laughs> But there was some natural tension that happened Can you imagine Jews and Gentiles forever Jews were the chosen Gentiles you're the outcasts you don't belong here Now Paul is writing to them to say, no, listen, you are both important because the blood of Jesus Christ has broken down all racial barriers. You're all important because Jesus proved on the cross that you all matter. Jews were basically saying, hey, you're not holding true to some of the Jewish traditions. What's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Gentiles are like, what are you talking about? That's old school. So there's all this cultural conflict going on. And there's all this division amongst the church. Can you imagine how important this was? The early Christians already having division. Can you imagine what the outsiders were thinking? I don't want want a piece of that. I got division in my household. Why go to church and get division if I got division over here? What's so different? So he's speaking to these people who were so divided. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, okay? So so you're called to belong to Christ. You're loved by God. Now, here's a great thing. If you're here today, we've often had these thoughts. I've had them plenty of times. I I don't know why, and I don't know how God could ever love somebody like me, right? Because we mess up. Or we probably all had this. I, I know how God can love someone like me. I don't know how God can love someone like you. Right here, what I love—you got to pay, pay very careful attention to the scripture. God is very detailed for a reason. Who is He saying is loved by God? To all those who are in Rome, specifically the Christians. Here is what He is saying: Who is loved by God? Jews, not only you, but the Gentiles—the ones who seem messed up—God loves them too. We must, under, we must understand that. That John three sixteen is very clear. God so loved the world. Who encompasses the world? Right? This is where if we're not careful as Christians, we can naturally take on the mentality of the Jews thinking it's just for us. It ain't for you. Now let's picture the Gentiles. You ready? This is, this is going to be hard for you to hear. Let's picture the Gentiles being people who just were once so rebellious against God who just, whatever their their flesh desired, they did. And Paul's going to get to this, but same-sex relationships. Jews would say, God doesn't love you. How could God love you? Right? Now, pay very close attention to what I'm saying here. When Christ gave his life to the Jews and to the Gentiles. What I love about this is did he give his life to the murderer in San Quentin who I would minister to? Yes. Did he give his life to the young lady whose father left her or molested her? Therefore, her life took a turn and she had no self-respect. Yes. Did he give his life for the person who's a continual gossiper in the church? Yes. Did he give his life to the person who was a drug addict when everyone else saw as a Gentile outcast and everybody else gave up on? Did he give his life for them? Yes. Did he give his life to the person who's in the same-sex relationship when sometimes us Christians just shun them? And they, we can't talk to you. Did he give his life to them? Yes. I am not saying that any of that is okay. What I am saying is God sent his son to die on the cross for people who would receive him, to receive eternity and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter if you were an addict. It didn't matter if you're in a same-sex relationship. He loved them all. And I believe what he would say is, go and sin no more. That's what he would say. I am not saying that because he gave his son on the cross that we can keep sinning. That's not what I'm saying because a lot of pain follows sin. A lot of pain follows sin. Now, what he is making clear that they are all loved by God because he gave his son he then calls them saints. If, if, if you were raised in the Catholic church, he is not talking about St. Peter, St. John. That, that's not what he means. He is calling the believers of Jesus Christ saints. We are saints. And then he, the way he normally caps off his letter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. That's the audience, divisive, filled with conflict. They don't want the outcast to be part of what's going on. So Paul writes to them. He's about to speak to them into their conflict. We're going backwards, remember? Let's go to verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son. Now, here he is talking about um, what he has promised. You'll see in verse 1, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. What, he, what is Paul doing? He is tying the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, Paul is not the originator of the gospel. The gospel originated in Genesis. This is everything points to Jesus. This is the message here he is about to get across to us. He he talks about what was promised beforehand through his prophets. Jesus. Jesus is, is, is the theme from Genesis to Revelation. You get that? Everything's pointing to Jesus. Every book is the unfolding redemptive plan pointing to Jesus. And so here what Paul is saying is, hey, you guys need to know what authority? All of you know the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and you read about this. This is all about Jesus. Now, what is all... Here's what's important. Write this down. This word concerning. What's going to be Paul's concern of the letter he tells us right here concerning his son now it's very interesting this word concerning in the greek is peri not our executive pastor peri it's a different peri p-e-r-i that's a greek word it's where we get our word periscope listen to what he's saying the periscope when you you focus in on something what he is saying is our focus is going to be about the son this is the message for 16 chapters. It's all about the Son. This is going to be our focus here. Now, listen to what he does. He does something very strategic. What I love about Paul is Paul was an intellect. Paul memorized the five books, first five books of the Old Testament. He had every single word memorized. You get that? What I love about Paul is he could have used all these words that nobody understood so that he can let people know how smart he actually was. What I love about Paul is he made hard things simple, not simple things hard. He made hard things simple. And I'll prove it to you. So, now he's speaking to the authority of Jesus. This is important. The descendant from David to the flesh. Okay, What is this speaking to? Jesus was human. Paul's very strategic. There's a reason why. I'm going to tell you in just a second. He's speaking to Jesus came from David into the flesh. Okay, so he is human and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Um, Now he is divine. So, why is this important? This right here, this combination that he is doing, um, if you can read my handwriting. You got that? Okay. Theanthropic. He is speaking to that Jesus was a theanthropic being. Theos, meaning God. Anthropic, anthropic meaning human, right? So here he is, combine those words. Jesus was human and he was divine at the same time. Why is this important? Listen to how God is so strategic and understands how he gives us the sword that we need in order to fight against the culture. Here's what's going to happen during the Council of Nicaea. One of the heresies against the church was that what he is speaking against is docetism. Docetism is a spin off word from Gnosticism. Docetism is the belief that Jesus was not a real being because the divinity of God could not sit in the humanity of anybody. And so in the Council of Nicaea, they brought this up. Before And they're talking about the Holy Spirit and and whether it really was Father, Son, how does that all work, and, and Holy Spirit. So what Paul is speaking to here is something that's going to come up later on that God already knows is going to come up. So he has him write very specifically against docetism that Jesus was just an illusion. Jesus wasn't actually human form. What I love about God is what he does. Remember Thomas? After Jesus resurrected, asked to touch him. Let me touch the hole. Let me make sure you're real. So God's foreknowledge already planned for the attacks of Scripture is what I'm saying. So now you have him speaking against docetism. This was incredibly important because there were many things that were said to be divine, correct? We know that. Many false gods, many little Gs. The message that Paul wants everybody to know is all those other ones are counterfeit. None of them count. There's only one that is fully human. There's only one that is fully divine. This is the way he opens up the Scripture before he goes into the 16 chapters. He is letting them know this is what we're about to get into. This is what the foundation from everything else comes out of this. Now, then he talks about because he rose from the dead, this is huge in Christianity. By the way, some of you are thinking, why is, he, why is he telling us this? I just read a study, 66% of Christians believe that there are other ways to get to heaven. 66% of Christians. I read that and thought as a pastor, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? And here's the thing about these studies, they never asked me, so I don't know who they asked, but I never get asked. But 66%. This is why, church, it's so unbelievably important. If you're church hopping this morning and you don't choose this church, I beg you and I plead with you. Do not go somewhere where you just feel better about yourself and you learn how to keep a New Year's resolution. The gospel is not about that. Do not go somewhere where they're going to tell you, this is your year. You're going to get what you, blah, blah, blah. How how long have I heard that? It's not about getting what I want. It's about Jesus and his name and making sure his name is displayed. It's not about Noe Garcia getting what he wants. If you believe that hogwash, you will fall into a trap in the deceitfulness that Satan is setting up for you because what ends up happening is when you are faithful to God and you're reading the scriptures and you're serving, yet you're not getting what you want because you heard you were going to get what you want, then it's going to cause you to set up and think that God is not real and he is not true and he's not being faithful and you've done something wrong. That is not gospel. Because when you read this text... Imagine Paul, this year's my year. 2016, I was shipwrecked, I was scarred, but this year's my year. Then he gets beheaded. Every character in Scripture, they're all persecuted. But every time persecution happens, guess whose name goes forward? The name of Jesus. Every time persecution happens, the name of Jesus spreads even further. So this is why this is so important. If I've never said it, and I'm pretty confident I am, there is no other way to heaven but through the Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There isn't anything else. It's not good works. It's not coexisting and mixing different idols and religions. He is the only way. The only way. Now, here's what I love. Look look what happens next. Because Jesus did what Jesus did, not you, not because you decided to read the Bible through a year, although I believe there's blessings through knowing him and his word, not because you decided to serve, not not even because you decided to start tithing. No. The only reason why you can receive grace, look, is because he did this here. He resurrected from the dead. Do you understand that? Because he defeated death, you can receive grace. And it wasn't dependent on what you did, it was dependent on verse three and four, what he did. That's the only reason why you can receive grace. So, therefore, we have received grace. I love this, Christians. Why? Why in the world is all this here? What does it mean to be a disciple? How do, I, how do I continue to walk? And how am I obedient? Do you understand that when Christ came to die, we received Jesus Christ, and he expects something out of us. What does he expect out of us? He expects to surrender as his, as his Lord. But here is the theme here, to bring about obedience. That is God's desire. Listen, That is God's desire for your life, to be obedient to him. All you need to know is step one. Don't worry about step two, three, four, five. If you take step one, I promise you he is so good he'll show you step two. Maybe a year, but he'll show you step two. But you don't want to live in disobedience. The revelation of what we're doing to the book of Romans should lead us to obedience. It, it's it's kind of like earth is just practice for heaven to some degree. Like, the, you, you're thinking practice? You're talking about practice? If heaven is Super Bowl, we're gonna worship God. Why not start now with everything that you have and that you can't take with you? What would please Him while you're here on earth? And so, what he is saying, the scripture should lead us to obedience. Why? Why should it lead us to obedience? This doesn't happen often with my children, but I've heard of some other parents and it's happened to their children where, where, where they'd go to the parent and say, Man, your kids were so obedient. Can you teach me? It happens a little bit with my, my kids, but, but what normally happens when the children are obedient, who do you give the credit to? The parents. How'd you do this? Like, tell me your secrets and your plan. It takes notice. Now, here's what he's saying. When we are obedient, we're not obedient to get what we want. We're obedient for the sake of his name amongst all the nations. When we are obedient, his name is glorified. When when we are obedient, his name is glorified. When we are obedient to get what we want, We are manipulating or attempting to manipulate God. And you can't manipulate God. Now, here's how we're going to end. So you had the audience. Remember, they were jacked up. It's a good start. Then you had the message. It's all about Jesus, sanctification, God's sovereignty. By the way, the more you realize God is sovereign, the more freedom you will live in. Because there are some things we don't like to happen, but when we understand God, I don't like it, I don't like the way it feels, but you are sovereign, you're in control. You know exactly what you are doing, God, with the lives of my children. I want to be very controlling on things they do or when they get sick and don't get sick, but the reality is I'm just stewards of them. They belong to God. And so the more we acknowledge God is sovereign, the more free we will live. Now, the author. I love this because Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. Now that, that word can have some negative connotation to it. But these guys were the PhDs of PhDs. Brilliant. Smart. Arrogant. You see all throughout scripture. Arrogant. Legalistic. Judgmental. Want to call out people's sin when they would mess up. But the dude was brilliant. But then also remember he was a committed persecutor of the church. Murdering Christians. Going out of his way to murder Christians. In fact, that's how he got saved. He was going out of his way to sin. I want you to think about that for a minute. The goodness of God's grace that he was going out of his way to sin. Defying Christians and murder them. And when he was going out of his way to sin, it's where God met him. And I guarantee you that the fact that he was out of going out of his way to sin, he knew what was in his heart. And for a loving God to see, I see how horrible you are. I see what's in your heart, but I love you. Come on, come home. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. To, to, to think that we serve a God that way, That loved a murderer enough to stop him in his tracks, drop him on his knees, and say, If you surrender and submit to me, I will still use you. If you're still breathing, I still have a plan and I still have purpose. To think that God will stop a sinner in his tracks. My goodness, what a God we serve. It makes this next word a lot of sense, to be honest with you. A whole lot of sense. Paul says, I'm a servant. Now, this is interesting, because look, look at what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Listen to his, his introduction. His first word that he puts in there is somebody. He didn't put Dr. Paul so he can get authority and respect and credibility. He didn't put, I'm Paul. I planted 15 churches. You probably heard about them, but I'm Paul, 15 churches. It's interesting. I used to do this a lot out of my insecurity. Uh, When I would meet people, um, uh, I'd often want to tell them what I've done, you know, the humble brag or name drop. I've done it before. I'm totally guilty. So are you, by the way. We're guilty. (laughs) But I did that. And when I'd get in the car, my wife would say, Honey, why'd you do that? I don't do it anymore. She beat it out of me. But I would do that. (laughs) I would do that. And she would say, Why did you do that? This was years ago. And I'd say, I was insecure. I wanted them to see me as valuable. I wanted them to see that I was somebody and I wanted them to give me a chance. She says, you don't have to do that. God will speak on your behalf. Don't worry about that stuff. So I don't do that anymore thanks to my wife. But I used to do it and I used to do it all the time. But it's amazing if anybody had any bragging rights. It was Paul. But he doesn't go to his bragging rights. Do you know why? Here's what he says and I'll tell you why. Paul, a servant this word, and mean, look it up, means doulos in the Greek. It's, it's another word for slave. Now, I've talked about slavery in Scripture versus sla- slavery in America. I've, I've talked about that. I'm not going to take time to do that. Um, but this is not what Paul necessarily is necessarily saying. He uses the word doulos, but it's interesting. The word he uses here is not a slave who is enslaved to the master without any will. No, this word is different. The one Paul uses is, I'm a slave, but doulos, I'm a willing slave, meaning I want to be here. I want to do this. I'm not forced. Think about that. I wonder if this had any correlation. My God was so good, and I was on my way to kill somebody. I've already killed somebody else and he stopped me, and he reminded me that he has a plan for me, and he didn't give up on me. I don't know why he loves me. I don't deserve it. I want to be a slave to him. Like I want to serve him. I know where he's pulled me out of. I'm indebted to him. I want to serve him. So this is what he's saying. I'm I'm a willing slave. Like First and foremost, everybody reading this letter that I'm writing to, I'm not forced. I'm a willing slave. To who? I'm a willing slave of Christ. I love it because when people first say, hey, my name is Noe, by the way, I'm Dr. Noe, and here's what I did, what I'm doing is speaking out of my insecurity because I think what I did defines who I am. I think what I did defines who I am. I think that's my identity. What Paul is doing is saying, no, 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 who I am defines what I do. There's a big difference. What I do doesn't find who I am. Who I am defines what I do. So what is Paul's identity? Not Ph.D., Paul. No, my identity, here's who I am. I am am a servant of the Most High. That's who I am. That's my identity. I am a servant. Now watch this. Because this is his identity, right, like he knows without a shadow of his doubt, nothing else in life will define him. He won't go through mood swings whenever the cardinals lose. Okay, He is pretty stable. Like nothing defines him. People are talking about him. I'm still Paul' the servant. Got fired? Still Paul the servant? Still single? Paul the single servant. <laughs> That's his identity. Now, out of the identity comes his authority. Who called him? God called him. Christians, here's what I love. Who found him on the road to Damascus? God found him. Who called him? God called him. Christians, you ought to be the least self-promoting people on this earth. When you have a God as sovereign as this, why self-promote yourself? He knows where to find you on the road to Damascus to commit more sin. Why self-promote when God knows where to find you and how to move you? You just need to be a servant. I love this because out of, notice how this didn't shift around. He wasn't like, oh, you called me? Okay, fine, I'll be a servant. No, was like, I'll be a servant. I'll do whatever you want. Oh, you're calling me? Oh, I I didn't think you were going to do that. But it started with submissiveness, willingful submissiveness. Then he is used by God. Does that make sense? It went the other way around. It wasn't God. you want to use me? Fine, I'll submit. No, it's like I'll submit. Do what you want. Oh, and you want to use me? I just wanted to submit. And here's a great thing. Murder, adultery, drug addiction. You name the list. We can go on and on and on in here. The cure and the antidote For a messed up life is submission to the Spirit of God. The antidote for a messed up life is surrendering to Christ willfully, willingly, and not being forced. And he says he is called to be an apostle. I mean, he is the messenger of the gospel. And then he's set apart for the gospel. All these three sections come together, and that is simply the menu. That is, here's what we're about to get into. You have a jacked-up guy who used to be a murderer now writing to you on behalf of what God has done. I'm not sure if it gets any better than that to understand a God who uses people like this. Now, here is the key for us today. Right here. Servant. I mean, are you really fully submitted to Jesus in every area of your life, every single area of your life, in relationships? Dr. Ward spoke about that last week. Have you submitted in that area? Controlling the mouth and what comes out of it. Have you you submitted your thoughts and your words to Christ? Your finances. Do you own your finances or do your finances own you? What are we a slave to? Because that's what gives you your identity. You know why this is so important? I just read, this breaks my heart, when it comes to identity. Every night I go over each of my children. Here's what I pray. God, make them a warrior for Jesus. And protect their identity. Protect their identity. Do you know what this culture is trying to strip from us? Identity. This is why it's so important you know your identity. There's a state that just passed a law that when your child is born, you have the option of putting an X next to your child's name so that when they're older, they can decide what gender they want to be. Some of you are like what's the, what's the problem with that? Like, what gives you your identity? I promise you, if Christ does not give you your identity, Satan will. I promise you. You think, oh, you're crazy. I promise you. So I, I plead with you this morning. You want to know why I went backwards? Because I wanted us to sit on this word. What gave him his identity was Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. So church, I ask you, what gives you your identity? Let's pray together. Listen, if you're here this morning, Christian, I'm going to speak to you first. That's who Paul wrote to. What an introduction. I'm Paul, a slave of Jesus. Meaning I do whatever he wants. And the things that don't give him glory, I stop doing. Like, is it Christians, is that, is that how we're living or, or striving to live? To say that the things he wants me to do, I, I do. And the things he wants me to stop doing, I'm fighting. I want to stop. If it doesn't give him glory, I don't want it in my life. That, need, that needs to be your prayer. If the words aren't giving him glory, don't say them. Like, is your life Christian? Is your life fully submitted and he's not going to force you. That's not who God is. He's a gentleman. But Paul used this word, doulos. That is something he wants to do. So Christians, I'll let you deal with that. Then there's, there's the rest of you in, the, in this room. My goodness, how my heart, and no, most importantly, the heart of God, does not want you going another year not knowing who he is. Because when you don't know who he is, you don't know who you are. So if you're in this room this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. And you're thinking, well, I don't know my purpose anymore. I just feel a void. I'm broken. I'm tired. And I'm weary. I don't know where to start. It starts by submitting and being willing to submit. So here's my prayer for you. If you're here this morning, and you're tired of the chaos and brokenness, and you've never, ever, ever surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've even said the prayer before, but you didn't submit. You wanted fire insurance. And I'll ask everyone if you can just just stay still in this moment, one of the most important moments. If you were here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you're saying that's what I need. Will you just raise your hand all across the sanctuary? Just look at me, raise your hand, all across the sanctuary. So that's I want to submit. That's what I need in my life. Just raise it high so I can see all up in the balcony. Just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand over there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. I see your hands over there. Anybody else? Amen. I see your hands in the balcony. This is an art. Pastors are gonna come to the front and the altars are open and Christians, I just, maybe you just need a reset button saying, God, last year, I didn't, I didn't do a great job of submitting everything to you. And Christians, maybe you come to the altar, maybe you sit where you're at and you just say, God, here I am. Let me submit everything. And for those of you who wanna submit to Christ, Our pastors will be up here, and all you want to say is, I I want to submit. And they'll pray with you. Father, we love you. We ask you to to give this flock strength to take the next step of obedience. We're thankful for your word, Father, and the truth that it gives us to live for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.